0: We went from 150 people in a nice regus office at the time and we went down to 30 people. We had a whole floor at one point and yeah it just got less and less and less and then we were all in, in one end of the office.
1: Welcome to Boardroom and Beyond. I'm Deepa Mystery Candola. I've got 20 years experience in the corporate world and I became CEO of this tech business in 2022. Becoming CEO was more than a change in title, it was a step change in my career and personal life. I quickly realised there's no dark art to being a CEO. Lots of this comes down to lots of experience and common sense. Whether you're already in a senior role or considering your next step into leadership, join us for jargon-free insights into the successes and challenges of both being a first-time CEO and running a start-up, now scale-up business. We'll cover everything from the boardroom and beyond. So in today's episode, our debut podcast is all about the dot-com bubble in comparison to today's Amazon and Google era, which of course we know is going through its own changes along with Meta and Salesforce with its restructuring plans recently. So all really timely. Today, my guest is Mark Carmen, Cloud8's Head of Sales. Welcome, Mark.
0: Hi, Deepa. Good to be here.
1: So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the contrasts and comparisons from the 90s to the 2000s, diving into what's working in the software space in terms of what it's like specifically for our tech, which is HR and employee related. Mark's held various leadership roles back in the industry in the 90s when the dot-com bubble hit the UK shores. And now I find myself in a similar role. So I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about what's changed for the better and worse.
0: Yeah, a lot to talk about, I think.
1: Indeed, indeed. So we'll try and keep it short and snappy. So, Mark, yeah. I hear there's lots about the dot com era. I'm obviously a lot like lot younger, and I was probably <laughs> in sixth form when it arrived. Um, so for us, it meant lots of exciting tech and gadgets to to use while we were going through sixth form. So, so I guess from my perspective, I'm really keen to hear what was the buzz, the vibe like working with the HR tech business back in the 90s. You know, I hear stories of lots of cash sloshing around, people popping champagne on a Wednesday afternoon. And there was this real entrepreneurial buzz is what I sort of pick up from from what I read. What was it like from your perspective?
0: Well, I mean, I, I was really excited by the whole dot-com thing. I mean, I, I had a fantastic job at the time. I was working in sports publishing and I had my dream job as a publisher of a rugby magazine. So... I could go to any rugby match I wanted to in the world if I wanted to. But meeting friends in America, I was hearing about this whole dot-com thing sort of kicking off. And I had like a friend who decided to leave New York and go off to California to go and work for this company that was mailing out DVDs for rental, which ended up being Netflix. So that was a good move. I thought at the time, well, that sounds like an interesting one. And and, and another girl who, she was working uh, at one of the big consultancy firms and gave up the job and she went off to a a sort of tech startup. She's now one of the kind of well, she made a bit of money out of Google, you know. So there was all that there was a a lot of buzz in America and I and uh, I was coming back to the UK and I just. I was talking to, because I worked in publishing, I was talking to one of the guys there, some of the young guys, and they said, yeah, we need to get into the internet, internet. And I wanted to get into some form of dot-com. And I just thought, well, (laughs) what am I going to do with publishing? You know, I've worked in publishing and sales promotion. And by chance, I stumbled across a company called perks for You, And that was, the idea was to do, actually provide employee discounts. Back in the day, there was a guy, there who who was starting up I think I was the sixth employee there and that was my first venture into employee benefits and one of the main reasons I did it was because having worked for lots of small organizations I was always quite jealous of the benefits that my friends had who worked at big corporates and I really wanted to think that we could do something with the internet to try and level the playing field with um, benefits And and I thought yeah technology would be a great way to do it and it was crazy days absolutely crazy and then we started building up, and the owner put his own money in there. And this is when I first heard of things called venture capital companies, and and having to have meetings with venture capital companies, and you'd you'd go in there with these kind of forecasts, and they'd say, "Oh, it's not ambitious enough," and and I'm saying to them, "Well, I don't think we need to spend that amount of money. I think." Um, we should probably be fairly careful because we're in, in startup mode. And they go, no, 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 you've got to go big. You've got to go big. It's all this first mover advantage, first mover advantage. And I remember my boss is saying my boss saying to me, the owner, saying, yeah, he said, you know, you've got to be more ambitious. You've got to be more ambitious. And what was interesting was they started hiring people um, at twice my salary as well. They started bringing in people who'd had senior jobs. They came in with these big ideas are kind of flying off the handle, and the VC liked what they were doing. And anyway, we raised all the money, and we went from a company of about fifteen people overnight in the UK to 150 people and 600 people in the US. We had offices in Tampa and New York, and and in London, and we buying all the hardware, buying all the software, and. We had a sales force of forty telesales people and forty field salespeople, and we were selling our employee discount scheme at fifty pound a head per year.
1: Wow! Yeah, that and was I suppose back then. There were HR buyers and businesses that that were willing to to do that yeah, back then. Oh, I suppose now it's very different.
0: Different, yeah, completely. And um, I think we within about the first month and a half, two months in the UK, we signed up nearly five hundred SME businesses. But you would think you'd be able to do that if you had 40 telesales people and 40 field sales people. That's a lot of activity. But then then we could see what was happening in the US, the whole dot-com bubble burst. And then all of a sudden, that kind of free and easy money was just not there anymore.
1: How how long was this bubble for?
0: I'd say, I mean, I was flying over to New York once a month for about a week and living it up for about a year and a half, I think.
1: Oh, wow. So, so not really that long.
0: Long, no, no. I remember being in, in New York and I was watching the Super Bowl on TV and every advert was .com, .com, .com. Well, I, I still remember was it William Shatner advertising Priceline. Yeah. Which is now, I think it's Booking. They own people like Booking.com now, yeah, but yeah, they kind yeah. of dot dot com dot boom dot bombed and but they survived and things like amazon but there were just so many dot coms going on there and it was a real real buzz and then all of a sudden you know i remember being in a meeting with the americans going to say oh you cannot believe the valuation of the company now we're worth this much our shares are going to be worth this much you know it was kind of those rodney this time next year we'll be millionaires kind of thing yeah and i remember looking- actually thinking i remember looking at houses thinking oh i could buy that next year possibly
1: I suppose there was a couple of things you said there. So so obviously because of COVID, so bringing it back to the here and now from a technology perspective, you know, lockdown happened and it was really successful for our businesses and lots of SMEs in the the tech space because everyone needed a technology. We're all working from home. HR employees had to engage in a different way. Interesting what you said about VCs, this new concept, you know, you guys didn't know what it was and they were telling you to be more ambitious there's been a massive shift in the last 18 months where, you know, VCs are are being a lot more cautious towards software businesses and the investment that they're making, you know, so you can go in with a million big ideas, but which ones actually have that runway and will give them that return. And and you get asked a lot of questions, you know, up front. So I think that that's quite a stark comparison. You also mentioned the word hardware. Yes. I I don't even like think about that as running a a tech business today. We just think about software. So I guess that's a massive change, you know, all of us being on the cloud now.
0: Yeah. I mean, we must have been one of Dell's favorite customers at the time. You know, the guys in Tampa were just ordering PCs like they were going out. And it was actually hard to get some hardware at the time, especially some of the higher end stuff for the developers, because everyone was fighting over it and everyone was paying a pretty penny for it. It's almost like in the same way, you remember if you tried to buy a monitor or an LCD monitor during um, lockdown, it was hard to get hold of them. So we were all kind of just stuck there working with our laptops until, until the company sent you um, a monitor and then they were apologizing, saying it wasn't as big as the one in the office, but it was it was an improvement. But just everything, yeah, it was just crazy times. But I think there there are some comparisons now. I mean, you you, you only have to look at the... The dot coms, again, you know, the the, the the metas, the Amazons, Netflix and Alphabet. And they're what they've laid off, what, 150,000 people now?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Interesting. I mean, I was doing some reading around it. But would you be t- 28% of the people being laid off in those companies working HR?
1: Oh, really? But,
0: yeah. And the, the the rationale behind that is because there's two reasons. One, they think, is because there's a kind of a mo- more of a move to AI. Yeah. So you won't need as many people. Secondly, recruitment is being done a lot more online, so you don't need sort of recruitment-type people.
1: That's really interesting because I I suppose, you know, if if we think about our business, it's doubled in headcount through lockdown. Yes. And we we, we hired all our people without a HR person. You know, you've got tech, you've got remote onboarding, you dispatch out their hardware, a laptop, you know, which does all their amazing stuff. And then, yeah, I suppose the recruitment, the training – it's all done online. So we've learned a new way of working.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so um, I think it's quite hard, I think, for the people trying to get into the workforce these days. You know, you hear these horror stories of friends, they, they, you know, their kids are graduates and they're trying to apply for jobs and it's all done online. And they're, they're doing lots of recruitment, not even talking to anyone, not getting any feedback. And if they, if they do get an interview, it's, 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 you know, it's a kind of Zoom call as opposed to face-to-face. So I think it's quite tough for people coming into the workplace.
1: Yeah, because I, I think I entered the workspace probably in the early 2000s, right? And you're yes. an office space, you're in London, you're an analyst or junior to, to quite someone quite senior. You would learn so much just by eavesdropping on phone calls that they were having or just buddying up at a face-to-face meeting, and, and those those conversations, you know, even to this day now, when I think of all the stuff I know about in the HR benefits space, yes,
0: yeah,
1: was probably what I learned very early on in my career. So, what um, whilst tech is going to help from, I guess, reducing their operational costs and creating efficiencies, will it, will it slow the learning in comparison to what we've experienced, you know, when dot com started to to date pre COVID? Yeah,
0: I, I think. Well, the big, big thing that I think the youngsters miss out now is that whole social scene, and um, that was one of the big draws of coming to London was just being, you know, that whole social scene and that being able to go out with your workmates, as it were, and kind of sharing hangover stories in the morning, you know, doing the bacon sandwich runs and all the rest of it. All those, all those kind of, I don't know, maybe they do happen now, but probably don't don't, don't happen as much.
1: Okay, so from my perspective, dot dot com bubble burst. I entered the workspace, and the city felt very stagnated at the time. So you know, I, I love tech, and I've always worked with technology, like ours, in in a consultancy financial services space, right? And it almost felt like, oh, we tried that. We've had our fingers burnt and we don't want to do it. So we're going to stick to our knitting, which is good advice, underpinned by pensions, benefits, all that kind of stuff. But technology, that's the thing we've we've tried and, and not really sure about. What's been really interesting with lockdown is almost the businesses that have creating something over the weekend or demand driven by the client, that agility and pace has come back. Right yes. for those businesses, yeah. and and there's lots of stats out there that SMEs have done brilliantly throughout lockdown and effectively kept the UK economy going over the last couple of years. It it's that if we don't adapt and change and deliver, we're not going to survive. And I think that's probably a similarity that's come back.
0: Yeah. Oh, completely. And that those well, yeah. If you kind of go back to those companies that survived the dot com burst, it was because they diversified. And also, to a certain extent, they were quite lucky because I think the story goes with Amazon or something, two weeks before the whole dot-com burst, as it were, they'd just raised $600 million and the writing was on the wall two weeks later. And then effectively, they, they had that financial cushion, whereas a lot of the other people were probably trying to raise their cash and they didn't have that financial cushion. And they'd invested in lots of people. And I think what's happened now is with um, people like Netflix and Meta and Amazon, and alpha obviously google obviously they're sort of a lot reliant on the advertising is that if things slow down they don't get the advertising facebook's invested a lot of money into the whole metaverse amazon people are not aren't buying as much online because the cost of living so they are having to kind of tighten their belts a bit but i they're still financially viable they've still got reserves they've you talk to Talk to investors, and they still think you know their their business can still be eight to nine times the size they are now in the future. So they still think there's lots of growth there. So I think those guys will be all right, but they're just taking this as an opportunity to take a breather, really to to get rid of some people. Because the other thing I read about was that something like the average age, well, average tenure of the people who've been laid off at these tech companies is eleven and a half years. Okay. Of service yeah. and I think a lot of that's down to probably salary if you've been working at those companies for 11 and a half years your salary is going to be massive but I thought what was concerning though is I read in Forbes that 56% of the layoffs are women though which is terrible really because you know the tech tech companies don't have a good share of female workers anyway so when over half of the people are being laid off are women you've got to think well that can't in this day and age when we're desperate for women to get into stem related businesses that's a it's a real worry I don't know when I mean, I've just said i read that in Forbes but having daughters I just look at that one of which you know it, it will be a she'll be a stem girl I just think it's just, it seems mad you know we, we're going for this whole inclusivity thing but companies don't really want the talk as much as they would like to think
1: no and, and we talk about for better or worse and what's changed from the 90s to the 2000s that That is one thing we, we, across the board, both from a STEM perspective, but at senior levels as well, you know, I walk into a boardroom or any sort of, I don't know, let's say we were at the Institute of Directors yesterday and you look yes. across the room, there's one woman, you know, which is always me in a room or one other. Um, and it is a shame, I guess, you know, all these years on, tech came in into the UK in the 90s and suddenly grew rapidly and we still haven't addressed that issue. And I guess the use of tech was going to help, I suppose, women work more flexibly and the different challenges we have, and it really hasn't. So you think yeah, suppose, about,
0: back to the back, actually, the senior leadership team when we started was all blokes, but yep. apart from the tele-sales, uh, head of tele-sales.
1: Diversification remains a, a problem across the board, and specifically in tech. I mean, if we think about the hiring we've done, we've doubled in size. If if we're hiring for, let's say, a senior developer, even the CTO role, right, which we filled 18 months ago, out of 20 CVs, two were female. So, so I think we, we definitely could do more to help encourage, you know, through schools and, and local networks for, for women to, to work in STEM. You know, what's coding? Oh, it's computer games that boys play with. Of course it's not, Right. But there's all these misconceptions. Earlier on, you you mentioned survival and you've mentioned a few companies like Amazon and Google and Netflix who who did really well and and how they diversified. And you can pick up any newspaper, article, whatever it is, you know, that you get your information from. It feels like a pretty dire time for the UK economy and the global economy Uh, as a whole, right? And, you know, we've got cost of living, employers juggling how much can I really afford to increase salaries by, how do I reduce my operational costs, sales are slow, you know, there's lots of challenges, both for the employer, the employee, tech businesses, everything. What are the three sort of survival takeaways from the dot-com burst that, that you would suggest or, you know, for our listeners to, to think about as we go through another phase, which is almost, you're sink or swim
0: yeah i mean i remember being in a room in a hotel and we did this whole um exercise about there's one life-saving dinghy who are you going to save and it took all day basically as a business we had to, we knew we had to cut back on staff because we we were going to basically ha- going to have to cut our cloth as it were Yep. it was just getting down to brass tacks about who's really important who who are who are the team players? Uh, actually, who are the people who are going to be there to the sticky end? Who's going to be there over the weekend w- when you need them? Who will be there at ten o'clock when you need them? Because there was there was a group of us who really did grow very close, and we kind of we we you know we grazed our knees together, kind of thing, and we're still very tightly linked. I th- now I think those people who who got the business to, to 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 the point where we sold the business and a lot of those people who went came join for the big ipo they they you know they were very kind of they weren't any more ambitious than us but i think they were a little bit more self-interested in themselves than the others and they could see their quality of life suffering they weren't prepared to have the quality of their life suffer whereas some of us were just kind of like well you know we have to cut our cloth. And I you know, we went from hundred and fifty people in, in an off, in a nice Regus office at the time and we went down to thirty people. We had a whole floor at one point and yeah, and it just got less and less and less, and then we were all in, in one end of the office and we got down to twenty people.
1: And and did that you know, I guess does that impact that volume of customer? That, that you've got or, or do you end up bolstering more on the technology side you know the, yeah those- yeah,
0: we just basically focused on the technology it became very much we have to invest keep investing in the tech that's a key area, but maintain awareness of, of who we are and we were quite lucky because we were one of the darlings of the employee benefits space at the time, and from a marketing perspective, it got to a point where I was handing out leads to the sales guys and they were, they were saying, look, can you do that one? Because I was up in Scotland last week. I've done three meetings up there. Can you, you know, and they were arguing n- not to take the lead because they had too much on, which is from a marketer's perspective. Was, absolutely, I was I was actually sitting there moaning at the sales director saying, I can't believe your guys don't want these leads. And he said, well, we've got too much on at the moment.
1: But, but I think your survival tips, you know, cut your cloth accordingly, um, ask for more money from your VC agreed. Um, the team, the team is everything, but that transparency as a leader and as a leadership team, if there isn't that two-way dialogue, the business isn't going to survive.
0: No, kind no. Of- and, I, you know, I think um, some of us are old enough and ugly enough to be able to be told when we're wrong as well, which is good. Or actually, have you thought about this differently, and um, still being wise enough to go, yeah, okay, there is something different there. Uh, yeah, maybe we should think about that. And I think, I think people have to be humble and be prepared to learn and listen and um, take on new things. But also at the same time, be prepared to look around for ideas and, and just kind of talk things through.
1: I suppose my last question for you, Mark, 10 years from now... Yes. I'll probably be in your seat and there'll probably be someone else in my seat, a young up and coming CEO. Where, what do you think our tech HR tech space will look like 10 years from now?
0: As individuals, I just don't think we can lo- rely on the welfare state anymore. And I think HR are taking on more and more of that kind of welfare burden, as it were. And I, I, it's not, you know, HR does a lot of, lot of good stuff. But they are having to deal with the cost of living at the moment, people's health and well-being. and I don't see those, I don't see health and well-being improving that as, as for a nation. I don't see that happening for a long, long time. I reckon, I reckon over the next 10 years, working with HR, people have got to be a lot more self-sufficient and take ownership of things. So I almost kind of see the kind of technology moving into how to be a better you. And how employee benefits can help you be a better you as an individual, and it's all about learning um i mean there's lots of self help books out there and all the rest of it, but i I don't want to download or pay for a self help book but if I could, if there's lots of different things that can go on that potentially can help improve my life, it's kind of like you know we were talking about not drinking as much, you know it used to be used to be able to drink twenty one units a week. I can't drink 21 units a week now. I've I have to go down to 14. It's not units a target.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of.
0: But it's kind of. But it, it's kind of. I noticed the difference. I feel better if I drink less than 14 units per week. That kind of thing. But it's yeah. kind of. And then also thinking about all the stuff you don't need to be spending money on you don't need to be spending that much on 500 megs of broadband and having the 100 gig of data on your mobile phone. But that's almost like a financial well-being. So I actually think the whole personal well-being thing, quite a holistic approach, and actually from HR just trying to get and help people become better people to themselves, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: will help them as individuals and help their organization as well. So I think, any technology that can assist with that I and mean, we know there's loads of mindful apps and there's lots of financial well-being apps and there's lots of fitness trackers and all that kind of stuff but i think if someone can bring that all together almost almost like flexible benefits technology brings all benefits together if someone could bring that technology all those different elements together so it makes it easy for people to on a daily basis to sort of you know, check their steps, check they've done this, check they've done that, and they're check their finances and and that they can see they're progressing. And they want to use this system. They don't want to be ruled by it, but they kind of see the value in potentially improving their lot by follow- just changing a few little things.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose you, you're right that there is a lot of technology out there wellness apps education nudges do the right thing and then you've got all your fitness apps and all the rest of it and i suppose it's all geared towards a better you and personalizing it towards yourself thank you so much mark for, for for joining our first podcast hopefully it was um as enjoyable for you as it has been for me
0: yes always is deeper um never cease to amaze me our conversations um we'll carry on down the pub i'm sure at some point as long as i'm within my 14 units 14 units yeah
1: (laughs) brilliant thank you very much cheers deeper thank you for listening you can listen to us for free on spotify apple Podcasts, or whichever podcast app you have To find out more or to connect with us, find us on LinkedIn and follow the podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks for listening and see you next time.